Peace be with you. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving holiday, some good food and good fellowship with family and friends. It is now today, if you haven't noticed already, it's time to actually listen to Christmas music. Because for most of you guys, y'all may have started too early, and it's not good until after Thanksgiving, but that's just me. Uh, like she said, my name is Raph Peters. I'm one of the newest church planning residents, a part of Soldier in Houston, and excited and humbled to be able to share from God's word today. Last time I was with you guys, we were expecting twin girls, and uh, we've actually enjoyed two months with our two precious daughters. It's been a blessing. So we've been grateful for that, grateful for your care and support for us during that time. Uh, during this time, actually, and I sound like a dad because we've been lacking sleep, but God's been good. Um, I get the privilege today of opening up our Advent series or season of Advent, and this is a time of longing and preparation for the birth of Christ our Lord. During Advent, Christians share in the ancient anticipation for the coming Messiah while simultaneously longing for his second coming. This year, we'll be preaching as shared from Isaiah, and uh, we'll be walking through some of the rich messianic prophecies that we find in Isaiah. And the cool part about Isaiah is that it has been known because of that as the fifth gospel. I'm excited for us to explore these glorious implications of his coming. Today, as was read, uh, we'll look at Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, which presents some glorious imagery of the mountain of the Lord. But before we begin to navigate through this text, let's spend some time to set this time in prayer. Father, before we begin to walk through your word, we want to pause. Lord, will you fix our eyes on you? Father, by your grace, will you make your word known to us? Lord, these words that you have shared that bring hope to us, Reveal what we've been longing for. We've been longing for peace. We've been longing for things that only Jesus can bring. Father, will you prepare our hearts? Will you help us not to be so distracted or miss the goodness of your love seen through Jesus? Will you help us to see the depth, the length, the height, the width of your love? Father, be made known and glorious today. By your word, speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we know of Isaiah, son of Amos, is that he was a Hebrew prophet, the first of the four major prophets and the first of the 16 latter prophets. And he predicted the coming of Christ about 700 years before the birth of Christ during an intense time of Israel's history. His name in Hebrew is Yesha Yahu, and is literally rendered Yahweh saves or God is salvation. And he, according to traditional view, which I hold, is the writer of this book. Isaiah prophesies and he has visions of judgment and deliverance of God's people if they repent and turn to God. What we find in chapter 1 is a harsh rebuke. As Isaiah is sharing to the people of God because of their rebellion and their inability to see that they have forsaken God. Then as we navigate and we get to chapter 2, these first five verses, we see a complete change. 
a turn of events, if you would, a 180, as Isaiah is prophesying to God's people and sharing of the future hope that they'll have. And in chapter 2, we'll see this beautiful imagery of the mountain of the Lord. In these first five verses, what we see is Israel's hope, Israel's guilt, and Israel's hope again. And what I believe, not only for this context, but we'll see something as well for us, God's people A.D., after the death and resurrection of Christ. So as we look at verse 1, there are some things that we need to unpack. The word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah was a message from God that he saw in a vision. Israel had been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Before these kingdoms became divided, they came divided during the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So now, fast forwarding to Isaiah's time, Assyria was threatening to overrun Syria and Palestine. Assyria was threatening to overrun Syria and Palestine. That's kind of hard to say. The northern kingdom of Israel, because of this, started forming alliances with neighboring nations in order to fight off Assyria. They had asked the southern kingdom of Judah to join them. And this is where Isaiah comes in. The prophet had already spoken out clearly against such military alliances and instead called on the people to trust in God's way, something that we see in chapter 1 that they weren't doing. Maybe the reason that they were fearing defeat from Assyria. So after rebuking them in chapter 1, chapter 2, we see Isaiah addressing God's people directly. Despite the grim reality of what they're experiencing, the threat of defeat, even what they'll experience in the Babylonian exile, Isaiah is sharing of a future hope that they can hold on to despite their grim reality. Let's look at verse 2 of chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days, or last days in some translations, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. The latter days or last days here uh, could be interpreted in many ways, in multiple ways. Uh, but I want us to kind of, for the sake of clarity and simplicity, look at uh, this in a certain way that we can see uh, for the time before Christ. Uh, the time now and the time in end times that we can think about when we hear latter days. And I want us to define this as God fulfilling his purposes for a specific event or people. And we ultimately know as New Testament Christians experiencing the first advent and awaiting the second advent, the latter days for us is when God will fully draw his purposes together and bring them all to a close completely and fully. We know for the people of God, though, in this context, in Isaiah's days, what they would have been looking forward to or the latter days that they would have thought would have been the case for them would be closing this current situation. When God would reign his supremacy for all to see and behold, they were hoping that God would make their enemies and it crushed and crush them by the weight of his glory. For God's people, they would have most certainly 
saw things differently than how they all played out. The people of Israel were awaiting a cataclysmic event that would usher in the rule of the Messiah. They were waiting for God himself to come down from his heavenly throne and destroy their enemies once and for all. They expected a king with chariots and armies and even a purple robe. But we know that that's not quite how the Messiah rose into history. And the timeline may have been different. Or they may have desired for the timeline to be different. So the people here definitely are hearing Isaiah's words of this future hope. But they may not be seeing it the way that we see it now that we've experienced Christ's arrival. So moving on in this verse, Isaiah begins with this beautiful imagery of mountains. And I think for historical purposes, it's important for us to understand what these mountains would have meant to these people. Because unless you've climbed a mountain or you've been to one or seen one, you really can't quite understand what they're meaning here. But for this time, mountains would have always been reserved for gods or where gods dwelled. And what Isaiah says here, or what the Lord is communicating through Isaiah, is that the Lord or Yahweh will be established as the highest of the mountains. Yahweh will be king of kings and lord of lords, greater than any god, lowercase g. And his kingdom will be seen by all, and nations shall flow to it. This kingdom will be attractive. This kingdom will be magnetic. This city on a hill would be captivating. And all of creation will come to Zion to worship the one true God. These words give feel to God's reign, and when he completely restores creation or brings Eden back to full glory. A time that will happen, of course, after the first advent. This points toward a time of the second advent, at least for us as we read. Let's continue in verse 3. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. And that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. During this time, people will go to Mount Zion or the house of God or the God of Jacob to learn of the ways of God so that they may walk in his paths or have relationship or fellowship with God. This walk with the Lord connects God's relationship with his children, and he desires relationship, that we commune with him. And it is out of Zion that the law shall go forth. Law here, which is rendered as Torah, is not expressing what condemns us when we try to use it as a means of justification, but what law here is expressing is simply this, instructions for life. The people of God will receive from Zion instructions for wise living and have fellowship with him. Verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. 
the God of Zion, the God of Jacob, the one true God, king, and now judge will bring peace. Regardless of how you interpret this passage or this verse here, we all are longing for peace. Not just Isaiah's context, but us now are longing for the day when peace will reign. And this God of Jacob will bring peace so much so that the weapons of our warfare will only have use as instruments of harvesting. What an amazing God. It is this future hope that Isaiah is sharing where there will be no need for warfare because of the Messiah's rule. What Isaiah is sharing is something that we're longing for. When war and bloodshed will be no more. When peace will rule and not darkness. A future to look forward to and fill us with hope in the not yet. A future where God will determine the plight of nations, not man. That deserves an amen. This prophecy that Isaiah is sharing has partially been fulfilled. It's partially been fulfilled through Christ. The Messiah who has come and overthrown the powers of darkness through his life, death, and resurrection. And who now sits at the right hand of God with all power and authority awaiting his second coming. Where he will completely bring justice and set things right forever. Yeah, this is when Eden will be restored. This is when we'll live in perfect fellowship with the Father. Where we'll see nations come to worship the Lord. It reminds me of a passage in Revelation 7 that is probably one of the most beautiful passages that you will read about nations coming to worship the Lord. And it says this, starting at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is so beautiful. You can almost picture these words. Every nation joining together and singing salvation belongs to our God. It resembles Isaiah's name in Hebrew, Yesha Yahu, Yahweh saves. Our God is salvation. What a beautiful image. As we look at this passage and we see that this is a prophecy, and for Isaiah's context, a prophecy that has not happened yet. We think about the latter days and think about end times and all kind of find ourselves at different points of our understanding of eschatology or end times. But hopefully, wherever you land, we can say this, is that God will make all things new. Hopefully, wherever you land, you can say this, that God will restore every broken thing. 
God will wipe away every tear. War will be no longer. And peace will reign not only in our hearts, but embodied in our lives. The vision that Isaiah is describing is one that we have seen fulfilled through Christ. I can even go to Luke chapter 24 to share more of this reality as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says this in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses or in the Torah and in the prophets or like Isaiah and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So we see that this vision has somewhat been fulfilled through Christ, but we're still longing for the second coming of Christ. But as we await his second coming, we have been given instructions to proclaim Jesus to all nations. As Isaiah is sharing of this future hope, it is intended to evoke something from his audience action, to turn from the God or to turn from their sin and turn to the God that they have forsaken. It is the same for us. For us to turn from our selfish ways, to turn from the things that we have once lived for and to turn to the God that we have forsaken. And we, as New Testament Christians, simply do this by trusting Jesus and depending on the Spirit of God to bear fruit or Christ-like character. For us, we act by declaring the gospel or joining God in his mission. If I can make it a little more plain for our soldier and family, the way that we have communicated that we are to do this is by making disciples, by multiplying neighborhood parishes, and by planting churches. And the hope is that the thrust of these things is filled with the hope and joy of what Christ has done and fulfilled. So taking out of verse 5, Isaiah's charge to God's people, I want to charge us with a simple application. I want to charge us to walk in the light of the Lord. In order to walk in the light of the Lord, you must turn from your selfish desires. This was Isaiah's words that echoed a word of warning if not taken and done. The people of God had been living in sin, in rebellion to God. And Isaiah is sharing of this future hope in order that they may turn and repent to God. And we have the same opportunity for us to turn to God, to the God who we have forsaken, to the God who is the highest of all. And it is only there that we'll find the peace that we are looking for. It is only there that we'll find the meaning that we're trying to grasp for in so many things. For Isaiah's context, they were to turn to God and not military conquest. For our audience, we are to turn to God and not political parties or legislation. To try to find hope in God and not exercise regiments or better neighborhoods or worldly pleasures or self-helps. Whatever it is that we're going to, 
to try to find life, meaning, and hope, we are to turn to God. Now, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they are meant to point toward the greater, and God is the greater. Will you run to God who is greater, who we get to celebrate in this season that he's come in the form of a baby, that he's humbled himself and had you in mind and us in mind, that he was building his church, erecting Mount Zion for the world to see and to worship. It is God who has fulfilled the greatest promise to us, Jesus. I plead with you today to take Christ, a Messiah who we no longer have to wait. Let us rejoice in this truth. Christ has come to those who repent of their sin or rebellion against God. Christ has come so that we have right standing with God and we're able to truly worship him. I want you to know today that whatever your decision is in response to this word, like Isaiah's context, that there is a truth that we must hold on to, whether you're a believer in this room or an unbeliever in this room, this truth is the case for us all. And it is this, that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. All nations will come and bow down at the feet of God, who is the highest of all. All will know that God is God. But only those who repent and believe will enjoy God's presence. I want to end with this quote by A.W. Tozer on salvation and man as we prepare to take. If man had his way, the plan of redemption would be an endless and bloody conflict. In reality, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. Let us pray. Father, we want to celebrate that good news. As we begin this Advent season, we want to be filled with joy because hope is alive, because you have come, because part of the prophecy has been fulfilled. Father, will this fill us with hope in our brokenness? Will this fill us with hope where we may lack peace? May this fill us with hope when it seems as if darkness reigns. Father, will we take the words of Isaiah in verse 5 and walk in light of you today? Lord, this is only made possible through Christ alone, through the Spirit of God. You have presented Christ Jesus today. For the believer and the unbeliever, Lord, I desire that we take Christ, whether through belief for the first time or through continuous belief, 
Because there are days where I lack faith and need you. And that will never go away. Father, will you expose to us all our brokenness so that we come to you? Will you expose, like Isaiah's audience, our sin and rebellion and make known the glorious truth and hope of Christ Jesus? As we long and await your second coming, may we be found faithful. We need your help. Spirit of God, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.